Luke chapter 15, as we get in our second week on one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture, um, a story that is often known as uh, the story of the prodigal son. And once again, we'll read all of chapter 15, so bear with me as I read this lengthy passage. This week I won't make you stand for it, but follow along your Bible as I read out loud. Hear God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he, has, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her neighbors and friends, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We come to our passage at hand this morning. Verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Since the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word, may the grass wither and the flower fade with the word of our God. 
May it stand forever. There were two sons, it says in verse 11. Two sons. Taking a couple weeks to look at this famous and well-known passage from the Bible. And it begins, we actually find in verses 1 and 2, I mean, to get the context of it, is that Jesus is surrounded and is surrounding himself and is eating with tax collectors and sinners. Sinners is probably a euphemism for prostitutes. And yet the Pharisees are angry and questioning why Jesus would eat with these type of folks. And it's in response to this question, to these arguments, from these complaints and frustrations of the Pharisees, that Jesus shares this series of stories. Now, this is uh, what Jesus gives us here is kind of like a three-act play. First act, as we saw last week, is the story of a shepherd who pursues a lost sheep. The second act is the story of a woman who seeks and finds a lost coin. And the story that we began to look at last week and continue this week is the story of the prodigal son. But this is a misnomer for this last parable. Because what does it say? And there were two sons. Unlike the first two parables where there was one lost sheep and one lost coin, it begins here with saying that there was two sons. You see, the parable of the prodigal falls along with the previous two stories in which what we find is one who gets lost and the one who gets found. And the same thing goes with the prodigal. But then there's this second scene to the last act. The second scene where you have an older brother who we also find is lost. You see, you see what is shocking about the story as we read this is not that the father would accept the son back home. That is astounding in its own right, and for those of us that love that story, it is amazing in the love that the, the father expresses to the prodigal son. But I don't know about you if, you, if I had an estranged child, I would say for most of you, if you had an estranged child who came back like the prodigal did and begins the process of returning home, you would welcome them, most of us would welcome them with open arms. The shock of this story is not that the father receives the prodigal back, It's that the older brother is also lost. This dad has two sons that are lost. Right? See, there were two sons. So this morning we're going to look at a different type of lostness than the prodigal type of lostness. Prodigal type of lostness comes with its typical sins. Older brother lostness looks a bit different. So let's first look at the lostness of older brothers this morning Remember that lostness, we saw last week in the nature of sin, which is both what both brothers commit, is that they, they alienate themselves and they separate themselves from the Father. Sin is not ultimately about your outward behavior, although that is certainly bad behavior outwardly is sinful. But the true heart of the sin behind it that the younger brother and the older brother both commit is that they reject the Father. Last week we looked at very typical sins where the prodigal said, give me my money and let me out of here. And he goes and he squanders it. But what is he doing? He's rejecting the father. And we looked at how in the ancient Near East, if you were to do that, if you were to ask for your inheritance before the father is dead, it's tantamount to saying, I wish you were dead. It is a rejection of who the father is and all that he stands for. But understand this, the older brother is lost and has rejected the father as well. You might say, where is that in the text? Well, verse 28 speaks volumes. 
You see, when the younger brother comes back and the, old, and the father welcomes the younger son back home and he uh, slaughters the fattened calf and he's throwing a celebration and a party and the older brother finds out about it, how, what is the older brother's response? He's angry. And what does he do? He refuses to go into the party. What he is doing, just as what the younger brother did, should bring shame to the family name and shame to the father. And just the, the same way, the older brother is bringing shame to the father by saying, I will not enter into a party that my father has thrown. I am so angry with dads that I won't come and celebrate, that I won't come party with him. This is not simply just a rejection of the younger brother. This is a rejection of the father himself. This is humiliating to the father, as we're going to see in a second, that the father's going to have to come out and entreat and beg his son to come in. That, that back then, that there were the host of the party would have sat in a prominent position, and the fact that he would have to come down from his prominent position hosting the party and leave the building to go plead with the son to come in would have been a humiliating fact. The older brother rejects the way of the father. And what does he say? Why is he angry? Well, one reason is he says, you've never given me even a goat. What what does the older brother want? Well, in much the same way that the younger brother, as we saw last week, the younger brother says, Dad, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. The older brother is saying the same thing. He's saying it in different ways, but it's the same lesson. Dad, I don't want to come party with you. I don't like your gracious ways, but I want your stuff. I want your goats. I want your cows. I want to have a party with just my friends, with your stuff. The same heart that's going on with the heart of the prodigal is going on with the older brother as well. You see, religious people obey to get things from God. They obey to get things from God, but gospel people, gospel people obey to get what? To get God. To understand, to experience the delight of the Father, to know Him, to delight in Him. Religious people obey to get, to get God's stuff. Gospel people obey because they love the Lord, because they love the Father. It says, A certain man had two sons. Both of them are separated from the Father. Both of them are alienated, and both of them are lost. Both of them want the Father's stuff, but not the Father. But they have very different methods for extracting from the Father his stuff. The younger brother says, I'll take my stuff right now. He's blatant. He's in your face. He's brazen. And he goes and he squanders it. But the older brother, he also has his own method. His method was this. I'm going to be really good, and I'm going to wait for you to die. That was his method. You see, one of them did sought to get the father's stuff and not the father by being very, very bad. One of them did it by being very, very, very good. Two brothers, two sons, both lost. You see, the good one is lost even in the midst of his goodness. And this is important to understand. He was not lost in spite of his goodness. In large part, the older brother is lost and is separated from the father because of his goodness. This drives religious people crazy. This drives parents crazy, right? Because you're trying to teach your kids to be good. And I'm ruining it. This is what the older brother says, isn't it? 
What actually keeps him out of the party? What keeps him from being in fellowship with the Father? He says it. He says this. Here's the reason I won't go into the feast with my Father. He says, I have never disobeyed you. And so I'm angry that you would treat the younger brother in this way. I have never disobeyed you. It's not his sins that are keeping him from the Father. It's all his righteousness, all his goodness that makes him think that he deserves better from his death. I deserve better than this. What is being said here, and this is really important, for, particularly because I'm speaking to the choir. You're the people in church this morning. I mean, you're here, right? I see you. You're here. This is you. Is this, is you can be with God the Father. You can be around Him. You can be all about His ministries. And you can not know Him at all. You can not love Him at all. This shouldn't come as a surprise. This actually comes in other places in the Gospels very deliberately and very clearly in propositional statements by Jesus. Look at this from John 14, verse 8 and 9. Philip said to him, this is one of his disciples, Lord, show us the Father, and that would be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Here it is, Philip and their other disciples have been hanging out with Jesus for a couple years, and they still don't get it. They've been doing his ministry. They've been hanging out in his presence. They've been saying good things about him. They think highly of Jesus, but they still don't know him. Oh, Jesus says it rather provocatively in Matthew 7, verse 22. This really drives us nuts, doesn't it? And Jesus says this, verse 21, 22, and Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, I never knew you. I never knew you. The Father is saying to the Son, How is it? How is it that you have experienced my love and my affection? How is it that you have lived in my house all of these years and yet you don't know my character and that you don't love me and you don't care about me? Son, you are lost. That's what he's saying. Son, you are so lost. Another way to say it is you can be involved in the Father's issues, and this is a really difficult thing for me, right? I am knee-deep in the Father's issues. I'm a professional Christian. And in your office, you're probably known as a professional Christian as well. In your fraternity, you're the professional Christian. You're knee-deep in it, and the problem is you can be very involved in all sorts of Christian activities, in the Father's business, in the Father's orders, and yet still not know the Father. Still not know the Father. And do you see the insidiousness of the danger of being older, the older brother, of being lost like this? I want you to see that the older brother is not just lost, like the prodigal, but perhaps, perhaps he might even be in a more dangerous place than the prodigal. See, last week we talked about how the separation and rejection of the father causes the, the prodigal to lose his senses. And then when he actually turns around and repents, part of that process is that he comes to his senses, it says. He is lost. He returns to the father. But it involves coming to your senses, which when you're lost, coming to your senses means you start to realize that you're not where you're supposed to be. You have a sense of where you are geographically, and you're like, uh, this doesn't look right. I'm on a scary dirt road. I'm lost. But far more dangerous than someone who is lost and knows they are lost is the person who is lost and has no idea that they're lost. Did you follow that? The person who is lost, who is very in a dangerous place, is the person who is lost but has no idea yet that they are lost. 
And why does the older brother not think he is lost? Because he's just so good. He's just so obedient. He's just so stinking righteous. And so he has no idea that he has no relationship with the Father. He has no idea that he's rejected the Father, that he's separated himself from the Father. A great white-headed father of our denomination, a guy named Ralph Davis, said this, Though the older son worked in the father's fields, but he was as separated from the father as kid brother was feeding hogs in the far country. The church pew can be the far country. Older brother lostness, do you get it? All your goodness perhaps has masked for you your need for God's grace and God's mercy. It's been all about you and not been about the father and his character and his beauty. You know, there's a great line from the, on the usual suspects. I talked about this in the, with the devil's temptation, but there's a great, the great line there that says this, the greatest trick the devil ever, ever told was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. Well, I think we could twist that, that quote and say it this way as well. Is the greatest temptation the devil can bring into your life is for you to believe you're just not that bad. You're just not that bad. Older brother lostness. There were two sons. How do you know if you're an older brother, right? This is the difficulty of it, right? You know, it's like your own stink. It's like you have to smell your, you have to take the clothes off and put them in the laundry for you to go, ooh, I stink. You can't smell yourself. Well, let me see if I can peel off your stink as an older brother and show it to you a little bit more clearly. The marks of an older brother. Or the stink of an older brother. That would have been more interesting. The stink of an older... I want you to see this. This is not a clean evaluation. The difficulty of it is that he's righteous, right? It's difficult to look at your exterior life and go, Oh, yeah, that's a real, that's a real problem. That's quite the issue, right? Your life is so doggone clean and pretty. There, But here's what I want you to see. It's, it's kind of a sense you can get about yourself. You can smell it on you a little bit. See if I can waft it under your noses. The, the, the older brothers are marked by two attitudes. One is the presence of something, and one is the absence of something. Older brothers are marked by the presence of anger. Anger. Are you an angry person? Not only that, but they're also marked by judgmental spirit and a, a spirit of superiority. The older brother here is angry at, at the father. And many of you are angry at God, and you're quite religious people. The older brother, he gets really ticked off at, the, at dad, doesn't he? He's ticked off. And some of you, your response to the way God has treated you is that you're angry. And the second some difficulty comes in your life, your response is this. God, I have been good. I don't deserve this. In other words, you still have a very childish understanding of your relationship with God in which you, have a, you follow the cookie method. You think, God, I did what I was supposed to, and now you're supposed to give me a cookie. And if you don't give me that cookie, there is hell to pay. Now listen, you may not yell and scream and fuss like your four-year-olds, but internally, you're seething angry at God. That God has not given you the compliant child, that God has not given you the marriage that you so desperately wanted, that God has not given you a marriage at all, that God has not given you that job, He brought this suffering or difficulty in your life. See, the, the, the mindset of an older brother is that I, I obey in order to get stuff from the Father. 
And if I've obeyed and he doesn't give it to me, he's broken the contract. That's not the way things are supposed to work. God owes it to them. They're entitled. So you can know you're functioning and have an older paradigm when you come to a place where you're constantly angry at God. So let me ask this. Here's a diagnostic question. How do you feel when God brings something into your life that you wish he hadn't? Are you angry at him? If you're angry, that's a good sign. That's a good sign you're an older brother. Here's another sign. If you smell superiority on your breath, this is the judgmental spirit. This isn't, this isn't saying that you can't see sin and call it sin. The world is confused. What we do as a church, we say, hey, this is sin as being judgmental. This is a judgmental spirit, which means you have placed yourself in a place of superiority where you are judge, jury, and executioner, essentially. Superiority. It's one of the great things that we see as Paul works out the gospel, both in Romans and in Colossians and other places where he says, the gospel has broken it down so that no one is superior, male or female, slave or free, no matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, we are all one. There's this great story from the, the Great Awakening in England when the gospel was, was being proclaimed in abundance both by Wesley and George Whitfield. And there's this great story where Whitfield, who's one of his supporters, is a lady named Lady Huntington. And she loves Whitfield's style of preaching and how he made the gospel centric to all that he was saying. And so she began to encourage some of her aristocratic friends to go hear Whitfield preach. And so one of them, a duchess, the Duchess of Buckingham, went to hear Whitfield preach. And she wrote a letter to Lady Huntington after she went and heard him preach because she was hacked off about what she heard from Whitfield. And here's what she said. I thank your ladyship for the information concerning these preachers. Their doctrines are most repulsive <laughs> and strongly tinctured with impertinence and disrespect towards their superiors in that they are perpetually endeavoring to level all ranks and do away with all distinctions. It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common lechers that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiment so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. Now listen, you may not live in such an aristocratic society, but frankly, that's an older brother heart. You're not writing letters going, how dare you? I'm a duchess. But what you are saying is, I'm so much better than these people. I'm so much better. But when you begin to hear the gospel, and you begin to see it lived out, as the older brother is now seeing it lived out to his younger brother, Man, it makes you mad. It makes you really mad. Are you mad at how God has loved on sinners? I was reading recently about the Nuremberg trials of various German generals. But you know what? There was a Catholic priest who was brought in to minister to them. And one of the guys who, was, who oversaw Auschwitz became a believer. He oversaw the death of three million people. Some of your grandfathers died in order to set those people free. And yet, that guy's going to be in heaven. Does that tick you off? If it rankles you somewhere down deep inside, you might be an older brother. You might be an older brother. Or like me, when an older, a younger brother in my church when I was growing up, he got a girl pregnant in our church, was getting kicked out of his house, and so he joined the Marines. 
And so he joined the Marines right as uh, we were about to enter into Iraq and was part of the great, the two, both pushes in Fallujah. And come, came under great commendation for his service and his valor. And I remember when he came back to my church and he got a standing ovation. The pig. See, he was a dirtbag. Everybody knew it. But worse was what was going on in my heart when I saw him get a standing ovation. You see, I was the pastor's son. And I had never left. And I had changed the poopy diapers in the nursery for years. And I had taught those kids. And I had served those families. And I got no standing ovation. And I was hacked off. Are you hacked off of God's grace to sinners? C.S. Lewis said this, we have a test for our Christian desires. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us think that we are better than someone else, we can be sure that we are not being acted on by God, but by the devil. So key question for you, how do you feel when prodigals come home? Do you rejoice with the Father, or are you ticked off? Let me, let me say this real quick this morning. Let me take a brief step back. Because here's the difficulty. We are, some of you, people, preachers are always, when they come to this text, I find they're always asking, are you the older brother or are you the prodigal? And frankly, I think that's a, a, a silly question. Because at the heart level, they're the same thing. And what you'll find is you probably bounce back and forth in your life. I've played the prodigal. I've mostly played the older brother. But I've played the prodigal. Here's the issue. So many of you, and let me, understand, let me get, you, get this, because many of you have played the prodigal, or at least your parents told you you were the prodigal, <laughs> even if maybe you weren't in God's eyes. And you came home, but now, you know what? You're now playing the older brother, and you're really angry, and you hate older brothers. You smell older brothers. You come to church, and you're like, ugh, all these older brothers running around. You see, I, I grew up in a, a homeschool ministry called uh, Advanced Training Institute of America, ATIA. Led by a man named Bill Gothard. Um, extremely legalistic, extremely fundamentalist. Like one of those, like, think Bob Jones, skirts down to the ankles for the girls. The boys, we, we, we dress like Mormons, white shirts, blue pants. This was our uniform. Um, and there was not any grace. It's interesting, there's a website for those who have um, entered, who have left that ministry, who've grown up and realized that it was, they smelled it for what it was. Legalistic silliness. And there's a website they've created called Recovering Grace. Except when you go and read their comments, and then you realize they don't get it yet. Because they hate the older brother. You see, some of you hate your parents because they just don't get it. Understand this. I also want you to get this. My generation, understand this. We, almost all of us will look at our previous generations and we will call them older brothers. Because every generation has their ethic that they love and they have their ethical blind spots. For instance, right now, for my generation, one of the things that's being pushed is an understanding, of, and there's another push of going for racial reconciliation and equality. And one of the words that's out there is called white privilege. And I understand it and I get it and I think it exists. My parents, and most of, you, most of you folks who are in my parents' generation, you look at it and you're going, this is the most ridiculous 
stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And so me and my generation are going, these, these blind old people, don't they get it? Of course, my generation, you, you may hear us talk about adoption and racial equality. You know what you hardly ever hear us talk about? The fact that 4,000 children every day are slaughtered in their mother's wombs in this country. That's not cool anymore for us to talk about that. Every generation has its ethical blind spots, and so many of you, what you've done is you've looked at your parents and you said, <laughs> you stink like an older brother, and you hate them for it, because they don't understand about protecting our kids from sexual predators. They don't have quite those, the, the thing that all, they don't love organic food like we do. They, they don't understand that, that gluten is, is of the devil. And so some of you won't, you, you know, you've separated yourself relationally from your family because you actually have an older, an older brother mindset and you're accusing them of being older brother. Listen, you'll really understand that you're not an older brother when you found the fact that you can actually hang out with judgmental people and not feel judgmental towards them. Mark 2. So it's not only the presence of anger and superiority, it's the absence of joy. The absence of joy. Older brothers, what, is he, what happens here? He won't go into the party, will he? He pouts outside the party. He's not excited about coming to church and hearing the testimonies of sinners. At the heart of our joylessness is that we see our relationship with God, and here's what the heart of the older brother was, is that we see our relationship with God primarily as being one as a slave to a slave master. As a slave to a slave master, and there is nothing that will make the Christian life more joyless, more quickly, than to begin to see yourself first as a slave to a slave master. Understand this. Look at the difference between how the older brother views himself and the way David, or how the older brother views himself, his relationship with the father, and how the older brother views the father's commands to him versus how David views the commands. David says, I love God's law. I delight in obeying God's. What's the older brother say? I have slaved for you all my life. See, delight is the heart of a son. Slavery is the heart of one who believes that God is his taskmaster and a slave driver. You see, Christians, when you see the beauty of what Jesus has done to us, you say, I don't want to just obey, to, just to check off the list. I want to obey because I delight in who God is and what he has done for me. For older brothers, obedience to the law is a means to the ends. It's a means of saying, all right, I've checked off the list. I've done the things that, the, that he's put up on the list for me to do today. But sons, sons just say, I just love being with the Father. I just love being involved in the Father's stuff and in his ministry. In fact, if you look at this. Not only does this man, young man not enjoy God's laws and God's commands, but I think he actually hates them. He, he, he feels like they drive them it's a means of slavery. It's, it's a weight upon his life. And so for so many of you, this is how your Christian life is. You hate the Christian life. It is unbearable to you because you wake up each and every day and you have a burden with the new laundry list of stuff that God has given you to do. Older brothers are driven by lists instead of love for God. They're driven by lists instead of love. Now understand this. Understand this. We're going to call you, right? The next six weeks, we're calling you to make commitments. We're going to say, make a list and check it twice and do these things. But you understand, even you'll see it each week when we ask you to give at our tithes and offerings time. Do we ever say, you know what? 
God said obey. So get those checkbooks out and grin and bear it. No, we say, listen, let me connect to you what the gospel just said and what we, how we worshiped and let that drive you to give because of the delight. See, morality is not about being in the Father's house and loving the Father. It's about having a record. It's interesting. There's a guy named Alan Hirsch who wrote a book a couple years ago, and he uses the great illustration, I think, about this. He talks about shepherds in the outback of Australia. You know, in the outback of Australia, they got a lot of land. I've never been there, but it looks pretty big. And there's not a whole lot of people living out there except for sheep and emus and those kind of things, and apparently huge crocodiles. But, they, but out there, they don't put fences up around their lands because their properties are too large. Their ranches are too large. It would cost too much. And so you know what they do in order to, to keep the animals nearby in safe places? They build a well. And it draws the animals, and the animals know not to stray far from the water source. You see, older brothers, they just say, I'm, they're constantly mending fences. Got to keep it up. Got to keep up the line. No. Young, the, uh, the mentality of the gospel is that I'm going to come drink deeply of who God is. He is my life and my sustenance and my source. That's the marks of an older brother. Are you an older brother? You display that as a, been part of your story? It's definitely been part of mine. It's been part of mine. But what must happen in order for our hearts to change? The story is actually very similar to the prodigal. I'm going to walk you through it. In order for change and stop being an older brother and be a a brother who simply comes in and becomes a son, who comes into the party and enjoys the celebrations, you have to see, you have to get a father. You have to see the father as he is, the father for older brothers. I want you to see a couple of things. You see the father's pursuit of you. You know, in each of the stories, the sheep, the coin, the younger brother, what happens? They get lost, and the person goes out and they find them. They pursue them. And that, that's actually what happens here as well. The father pursues the older brother. There is pursuit and there is, a think, there is seeking by the father. Understand this. This is a humiliating act for the father to leave the party to have to ask the son to come in. And does, but he does it. Just as, the, the, as we saw last week, that the father hikes up his, his man skirt and he runs out to give his boy a hug from far away and he runs which no older man would have done in the ancient Near East and he shames himself in order to love his son. So the father does the same for the older brothers because he loves older brothers. He gets off his place of hospitality. He leaves the party. This should sound really familiar. He leaves the party to come and get the older brother and bring him in. Somebody did that. You see, what older brothers need is they need a perfect older brother. They need a perfect older brother who would be willing to leave the celebration in heaven and come down to a broken, disgusting earth and enter into our arrogance and be willing to take our abuse and yet to say, I've come for you, my older son. Oh, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus did. He left the party in heaven to come and bring older brothers home. And also I want you to see not only the Father's pursuit, but the Father's posture to you. The Father's posture towards you. I'm just going to walk through the Father's response when he goes out to the Son. Look at this. Everything about how the Father pursues the Son is like, how, is like a father, not a slave master. He's a father. Look at verse 29. The father entreats him. Entreat is different from what the other son has told how the father... The other son says the father commands him. That's how he responds. But what's the father doing? He's entreating. He's pleading. He's beckoning. He's wooing the older son to come in. And this is how God speaks to us. 
He doesn't come in and just be browbeat us. He draws us in. It's interesting. Paul says this, and he applies this in how he calls people to, to live out their Christian faith. He says this in Philemon verse 8 and 9. He says, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I would prefer to entreat you to do what is required. That I'm going to plead with you to obey. The father is wooing and appealing to the older brother. But I also not only want to see how, how he speaks to him and his posture towards him here, but how he comes and comes close to the father. There's actually this word, he calls him, is what it says. It says to call the older brother, summon a servant to stand before him. And usually the word is ekaleo. And when your child has done something wrong, you've ever had this, or you can hear your kid, like this happens often in my house, where I can hear on the baby monitor, the wham, and another child starts to cry, and I yell across the house, kid, get over here. Stand here. And what do you do? You got the fatherly posture, and you get down like this. That's not what this father does. The, the language that's being used here is actually the father, he, he comes alongside him. It's not the word echoleo. It's the word parakaleo, which is the same word that we see with the, word, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which has a physical reference to coming alongside and coming around. In other words, he comes out to the other brother and he puts his arm around him. And he pleads with him. Son, son, come into the party. Look at the next verse, verse or a couple of verses down, verse 31. What, how does he call him? He says, son, son. In most translations, it uses the word son, but the Greek word here actually is not son. It's the word technon, which is a more intimate word even than son. It's the word child. He's speaking endearingly. This is the difference between saying, son, and saying, son, son. He's speaking to him. He's calling him. He's saying, you're always, you are always with me. You're always with me. That's what it says in verse 31. He draws out the implications of him not being a slave, but being a child. You see, do slaves stay with you always? No. It's a, it, back then, it wasn't like chattel slavery in the United States. It was contractual slavery, Usually. And so once you kind of paid off your debt, you would be set free. And so it was not permanent. But sonship was permanent. Sonship was permanent. You see, Jesus talks about this and actually in Romans 8. I mean, John 8. John 8.35 says this, The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. See, the father is trying to correct the paradigm of the older brother. Saying, you're not a slave. You're not my servant. You're my child. And I'll never abandon you. And you'll never be anything but my son. One commentator put it this way, and it's beautifully put. He said, with this one word, child, child, with this one word, the father exposes all the deep distortion in the son's heart. He said, I have been serving you, and I have never, and I have never passed over one commandment. But the father didn't try to argue that point. It would lead nowhere. The whole relationship was built on the wrong footing. With one word, the father seeks to set it right. Child. Child. My boy. Hear my word. Child, this is the relationship we must have. If you're ever going to enter into the banquet, you must realize that you are my son, not a slave. Have you come to that point in regards to your obedience? There's a great hymn out there entitled, Love Constraining to Obedience, and there's this great line that says this, To see the law of Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and a duty into a choice. You hear those lines? To experience the love of God, 
it changes not just what you do, it changes why you're doing it. It changes it from a duty into a delight. And then lastly, I want you to see, look at the Father says. The Father says, all that is mine is yours. Who gets the Father's possessions? A son. Who gets the inheritance of heaven? Sons. The Father says, and this is the depths and the links of my love for you, that there is not one thing that I possess that I will not give to you. And let me ask you this. How do we know that? How do we know that God the Father will not withhold anything from us? It says it this way, Paul says it, that because God has given us his Son, the most precious thing in his worlds, how much more will he give you everything else? And if you're connected to Jesus, you get what Jesus gets. You get the inheritance that he gets. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. You get inheritance from the Father. Would you come into the party? His father's entreating and calling and beckoning the son back into a fatherly relationship. Let me ask you this, let me just to apply this a little bit. Some of you are going, okay, that's nice, I, that's good. To go back to some of the marks, if you're struggling, let's say you're a parent with a wayward child. And one of the difficulties of reading these things is this is all really quick, isn't it? Prodigal comes home and everything's all hunky-dory, right? Woo! Yes! But that's not how it works usually, is it? Usually the process of prodigals coming home takes a very, very long time. And a lot of times it's coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. How in the world do you get the power to not just become the older brother parents who finally says, I said I'm done with you. Stay away this time. You've got to understand, you've got to hear the way the Father speaks to you. How do you be the person who's not be the older brother Are you tired of loving that parent or sibling who just doesn't seem to get it? They browbeat you all the time? How are you going to love them? You've got to hear from a better father, a better, the voice of the Father God who says, you are my son and you're accepted and you are well pleased. Even if that parent, that older brother parent is driving you crazy, you're going to stay in relationship with them. One last point for you this morning will be done, and it's very quick. And it's the question for older brothers. It's interesting, I, I used to read Hardy Boys books when I was a kid. You remember, you remember those? I'm not sure anybody reads them anymore. Hardy Boys books are great. I remember I'd read num- a number of them during the day because it was like every chapter would end with this cliffhanger. And you would, you'd, you'd be like, I have to keep reading. I have to keep going. Well, actually, that's what Jesus is doing in this story as well. This is the genius. Jesus is a genius story, storyteller. You see what goes on is here. There's a lost sheep, and the shepherd goes after him, and he brings him home, and there's a party. It's great. And then there's a lost coin, and the woman finds, him, finds the coin, and there's a party, and it's all great. And there's a lost son, and the, the father finds the lost son, and he brings him in, and it's all great, and there's celebration. And what happens here? There's a lost older son, and the father goes out to bring him back in, and what happens? We don't know. Jesus blanks the story. You see, remember the context? See, this is why people get it wrong. People think this is for prodigals. This is a story for older brothers. Because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who are angry that he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And so what he's doing by blanking the end of the story is he's saying, will you come in? Will you enter the celebration? Or will you let all your goodness keep you out? Will you stay estranged from me? Listen, if you're an older brother... I want you to see the Father's love for you this morning. 
He's not angry at you. Like church, like prodigals seem, old ex-prodigals seem to be angry at you. But not this father. He comes out and he treats you. He speaks tenderly to you. He calls you into the party. Love this. Jesus welcomes raunchy sinners, and that is amazing grace. But he also welcomes religious sinners. And that is indescribable grace. Let's pray. God, my sense here that for most of these people's stories, they're older brothers. Not for all of them, but for some of them. And some of them, Lord, used to be prodigals. They used to be prodigals, and they got into the church, and they got religious. And they've become older brothers. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would melt our hearts of stone that has this nice candy shell of goodness that is hardened. God, would you break through? Would you reveal to us the darkness in our hearts so that when we can hear the voice of the Father who says, I love you anyways. I'm coming close to you. I'm drawing you in. And Lord, were those Christians who maybe have not experienced joy in their Christian life for years and years and years begin to experience the delight of the Father's voice once again that says, you are my beloved Son, and you, I am well pleased. Amen.